everyone, and welcome to the May 2015 edition of Voices of Experience. I'm your host, Michael Hoffman. Before we begin, let me remind you that every month, VOE adds videos of several of the interviews for you to get the most out of this experience. This month, you can view the video of Neen James's interview on the app version of VOE by clicking on the Movie Slate icon button on the bottom of her segment screen next to the play button. But we also have videos of the interview of Christine Cashin, Linda Larson, and Tammy Evans, as well as the Terry Brock interview of Mindy Gibbons-Klein, all on the VOE page of the digital version of Speaker Magazine. Be sure to check them out. All right, let's get into it. What do you get when you put humor ideas, practice tips, marketing, and thought leadership together in one package? A VOE that's chock full of ideas, tips, and techniques to ignite to new levels both your content and your delivery. Let's start this month on delivery. Let's focus on humor, one of our favorite and most important skills. And when it comes to humor, Dave Hill is one of my personal favorites. He's a speaker who manages to anchor his presentations with his signature stories. But this power-packed Irishman is one funny fellow, and he takes the time to talk technique on adding humor to our presentations. Let's, let's just talk about adding humor. Yeah. Just adding humor, just for laughs. Because mm-hmm. not only are you a great storyteller, Dave, but you're funny. I mean, you're just dang funny. And one of the things that I know we've talked about before is that funny isn't off the f- off the cuff most of the time. You know, it's living in the moment. But, I mean, there's a lot of things that you can do to prep for funny. Adding things to your stories, the, the comedic timing. I mean, you've, you've had training in, in stand-up comedy. Uh, so let's talk about that. Just on adding humor to your speeches. Give us some of the techniques that you use to add humor to the speeches. I would say the majority of my humor comes from just funny happenings in my life. So Mm -hmm. personal stories that I'm sharing. With those, I'm actually going through a process then is how can I maximize the effect of this story? Intonation, dialogue, movement, animation in my face, my hands. What am I going to do with my hands? So basically, I would say to it, what I am doing is I am stepping into my characters. I think that is what has actually made me very successful as a storyteller and a humorist is I am basically there. I am stepping into the moment and I'm inviting my audience in with me to actually experience what's going on. Those are great words. You're inviting them in to experience because you're literally engaging the imagination by taking on a persona. If you were coaching somebody and taking on a persona, what would you do? Very good. Well, the first thing is basically I'm looking at this character and how am I going to what I call as the three dimensional psychedelic visual detail? How do you (laughs) stretch this out and make it big? And very, very, you know, within two seconds, the audience know exactly what's going on in this story. So I think to answer your question, Michael, it's basically having the confidence to step into the character. And that took me a little bit of time to actually get there, to you know, have the confidence to basically go a little bit crazy, push my animation, make sure my gestures start getting really big, and really believing that I am the person who's in this story. That's true, isn't it? I mean, especially when you're on stage, it's making that choice to go bigger because what we think we're doing is huge isn't really as huge to the people in the front row as we think it is. So to really make those big choices helps the audience because the more they see it, the more they get it, the more you engage their imagination. Right. So make big choices. Okay. And then there's other tricks. There's, well, I wouldn't call them tricks. There's other methods that you use. You've got multiple characters. So how are you going to help the audience keep track of who's that is where you can start using accents maybe you face one direction for one person and then you face the other direction for the other person so the audience fully understand what is going on in that specific dialogue situation and it's not wild either sometimes i mean sometimes it's just a matter of just turning left or right like you said you know, that is correct left, left or right left for one way one person right for another person good talk to me about some of the techniques in humor that you use you said uh, the power of three we've heard the power of three a lot how do you put the power of three into your speeches into your story very very good question and for speakers is this is the easiest way to drive humor it is so easy 
basically again just imagine that you've you've written out your keynote and now you're scanning through it and you're starting to look for are there any areas in this where i've got kind of groupings of number one number two number three and then once you start to see that there's kind of a flow of information going from one point to another then you start to go okay there might be an opportunity here that i can actually use the rule of three technique to actually drive some humor here and what i mean by that is that it could be a setup a setup and then the twist at the end that's the easiest or it could be normal normal and then abnormal again the abnormal is the twist that you're tricking the audience's brains and if you do this correctly audiences will always laugh. When I turn up with a speech with the rule of three, I am very confident that I am going to get my laugh from it. So normal, normal, abnormal. What was it? Normal, normal, twist. Throw that twist at the end. Mm -hmm. Big, big, small. Small, small, big. Right. So that's a power three. Give us an example. Okay. An example would be, you know, I tell people that even though I've been here in Texas for 18 years, Mm -hmm. I'm never going to fit in as a true Texan. And they ask me why. And I say, well, I'm afraid of guns. I'm afraid of snakes. I'm scared to death of cleavage. (laughs) Okay. So uh, so small, small, big on that one. Small, small, big. (laughs) Studying humor, it just amazes me the science behind it you know and, and and not that not that you could ever explain it because i uh, like the rule of three why why does the rule of three is it is it just because that timing you know there's it's just too long in four and it's not enough in two you know it, i don't it, it just maybe, doesn't work and it's it's just, just the, br- the human brain and we know this as speakers as well that brains process threes better so three points is typically easier for an audience to grab than four points or five points how can i maximize the chuckle factor and even get into the 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 rolling laughter is always my goal a lot of the time we're all just looking for the chuckles but to get into the rolling laughter that's like okay because big room and you've seen this big room you can actually see you know it starts over the, of the confident laughter. laughers and then it starts to spread around the room and it, that that's that for me is like okay i spent 60 hours developing yeah. that uh yeah. you know 10 word uh, sentence but my god it was worth it, it there's nothing like it yeah is there there's just yeah. nothing like an audience that laughs you know what they say uh, do you have to be funny as a speaker only if you want to get paid <laughs> There was one other one that you mentioned, play with words. Tell me about yeah, that, play that with technique. Words. So another technique that I'm always looking for is, you know, when I'm scanning my keynotes and I'm scanning my stories, you know, I'm always looking at all the different angles. Where can I find the humor? And sometimes it just jumps out. And, and the play of words is one of the areas that sometimes it just jumps off the page and you go, okay, this is going to get a laugh. And let me give you an example, Michael. It would be a story I was telling about my family car getting pulled over by the police up in Canada and our family was having an argument on the inside and the policeman was looking for joy riders he found no joy in this car (laughs) that's right yeah quotations so well-known quotations twist them around so that they're different but they fit the application that you're using them for four score and seven blogs ago our founding forefathers that's what it was excellent excellent To maximize your humor, you've got to make it as concise as possible. And that's the same with stand-up comedy. Most of it is a process, and the process basically is you identify something that's making you angry or upset. Or emotional, sure. Or emotional. Then you provide a very concise anecdote to explain it but in that anecdote you then act out the characters that are in there and it's the characters in the characters you're using dialogue you're using animation in your face you're you're using gestures you're basically stepping into the character and that's what the audiences laugh about and they call that they call it the act out they call it the act out at the end. And the act out is basically the story. You know, you're setting up the concept uh, of, of why it's making you emotional. You're giving them an explanation of the situation, and then you act it out. And the funny is in the act out. I think that's the point. That is correct. But the key is, at first, your sentences are double or triple the size they should be. 
And what takes so long is to learn how can you say that in the fewest amount of words because they're wanting that bang, bang, bang kind of humor rather than the story that might, uh, you know, go over 30 seconds or a minute. Would you recommend studying stand-up comedy, uh, studying uh, stand-up comics to find the methods to add to your speeches? I would highly recommend it again for any speaker. Being a storyteller and a humorist, I think, really helps, especially in the arena of keynotes. But also, actually, come to think of it, in workshops and seminars, you're going to get more attention and people are going to remember your information. But it's actually a couple of hundred dollars. You can go and do stand-up training and then you get to try it out in front of an audience and it may be high anxiety, but I've learned a long time ago, if it's high anxiety, you're making progress. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Well, there you have it. I think those are wonderful ideas on adding humor to your presentations, whether it's getting into your character and owning your character, uh, really engaging your audience's imagination, whether it's using the power of three, big, big, small, 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 big, normal, normal twist. I love normal, normal, abnormal, uh, absolutely. <laughs> great. Um, that's always a classic. We can sprinkle that throughout our presentation. Definitely doing the act out. It's the setup, but the act out is, again, engaging the audience's imagination that drives home the funny. I love how you said, be concise with your words. We can never spend too much time on really getting our words down and being as tight and pithy as possible and just going out of your way to add as much fun as possible. Dave, I think that's, that's one of the reasons why we love watching you so much. Thank you so much, Michael. At the San Diego Convention, there was a panel of very successful women speakers, and we had a chance to talk with three of them. Tammy Evans, CSP, Linda Larson, CSP, and Christine Cashin, CSP, CPAE. These women shared their experiences and ideas that ignited their success and some platform skills that set them up as rock stars. I just want to say that uh, I'm a little intimidated by the level of energy of the joy and the love that is coming this way. I just want to soak for a while. I think a lot of people want to soak. No, no joke. Just in the power of you three. These are three powerful women in the industry, very successful. Of course, Christine Cashin, Linda Larson, Tammy Evans. Thanks for playing. VOE, I want to get down to some nuggets, especially around the topic of being a successful person, let alone a woman, but uh, uh, being a, a successful person in the industry. But you did uh, a presentation uh, to an audience, mainly of women, about the industry. What were your general observations about that particular event that really stuck out to you? The reaction was immediate and palpable. Um, I felt like the whole room was just <gasps> leaning forward and just excited to, to learn more. And the thing that we kind of talked a lot about is that don't sit back and observe and wait. If something interests you or you want to go for something, go for it. Because, you know, really, we stood up there, all of us, and said, we're trying hard, we're working our best, but we don't honestly know what we're doing all the time. We're just willing to get in there and, and give it a go. And I think that that was powerful for women. We were talking about the fact that a lot of people would like more women on the platform. And half the problem is they don't put themselves out there. They wait to be asked. No one's asked me to speak. <laughs> yeah. Well, what have you done to foster those relationships, to set, submit a proposal? And, uh, and then we also, also had the element of, you know, get good. Yeah. So people will want to do that. But you gotta get, you got to put yourself out there. Don't sit back and wait to be noticed. And it turned out to be a conversation everyone wanted to have because we all have the questions, but we don't know who to ask. And we, don't, and, we're, and we think by asking someone else that we'll look stupid because, you know, well, they have the answers and I don't. They've got it all together. But it was a room where it was kind of like people saying, we're sitting up here on the panel. You think we've got it together? We're making this stuff up as we go along, too. But we're just, you know, we're maybe just a couple of steps ahead of you on this game where we've learned some things and we're happy to share it with Everyone you. is a work in progress. Yeah, and truly, whether you're a woman or a man or whatever speaker, I think everyone, to some degree, is making it up as you go along because everyone's speaker journey is different. And the second we try to copy someone else, whether it be a woman or a man, it, it, it's not us anymore. So that, that was the other thing, is to just be you and do it. And that's a big thing, and everyone is looking for their identity when they come into this world of speakerdom, and that's the mistake we make. I'll dress like her because I like the way she looks, and I'll, and I'll speak on her topic because that's good, and we just kind of flop around it. So we're constantly recreating ourselves. What do you think the biggest challenges are in that? I think you have to be open. I, I mean, it's easy to get comfortable in, uh, you know, 
things that work. I mean, come on. If you know something works every time, that's great. Use it. Absolutely hone it, shine it, polish it. But always be willing to look around and find what's fresh and new and what's going on and add, have a little space where you, maybe you add that each time. And of course, when you're dealing with a client, and you know, these people taught me this, you customize. I mean, you get to know them. You go to the cocktail party the night before. You sit down with the people. You go into the audience and get to know them because that's what makes it fresh and new and relevant for, for the participants of that program. What really helped me in the very beginning of my business is that whenever I spoke somewhere, I wanted to see who could come and watch me. But if a lot of people are like, I don't know you and I'm not going to come watch you. I go through the directory and I would find um, CSPs and CPAEs that lived in that area and ask them, not can I pick your brain or can I be a mentor? I just want to meet you. Do you want to come have coffee? Just to talk and just to get to know somebody. And it was, it was a pretty great start to building relationships, I really, and then they usually would stay to watch you and give you uh, suggestions or maybe even then recommend you to their clients. Well, what's the one piece of, of activity that you've done that has really helped open a door for you, uh, maybe uh, made your presentation better, a uh, thing that really that may, may stand out, helped open a connection? What, what's, what the, what's the big stuff that's helped you be successful lately? I'm really into this whole like technology and trying new fun things, so this works particularly well if you're a closing keynote. So I get there a little bit early um, the night before if I can, if they have an event, and then definitely I'm there the first person down in the ballroom. And then um, I will do make little clips of the people coming in video and all clips. the tables, video clips, and even photos. It, it can work with mm -hmm. photos as well. What I will do then is I will, during their lunchtime, I run up to my hotel room and use iMovie, and I put all of these pictures of the actual participants into a little movie. I pick a song, a really happy song that, that works, and then I play it as part of my program in this part where I talk about people being happy and uh, you know, and I say, look around you. There's all kinds of pe happy people all around you. Don't forget that. And then they see themselves. Very present at that they, event. Wow. That, you know, and it's it's really once you get it, it really takes not a lot of time, but the impact is huge. And again, it is because it's them on stage with me. One thing I've done, uh, I've been trying to do, is to. Um, connect with the audience before I even get to the event. So I, I always ask when I'm doing my tailoring form, I always ask the question, do you have a Twitter handle for your event? And sometimes they said, no, we will create one. And they've actually oh, nice. created one. Um, or do you have a Facebook page? And so I'll say, looking forward to seeing you all. We're going to stop whining together. And all of a sudden, my followers go up and they start getting to know me through what I do through social media. So when I get there, they're like, I've been following you. And, and you already have it even before you get there. And then you take pictures and stuff, and then so afterward you also connect with them that way. But that's like a fun, easy thing to do just to get the participants pumped up. And everyone gets excited at who is part of the event. The organizers look at it as oh, wow, you're already that. participating. I've made videos for them yeah. just mm -hmm. so you can send out to all your uh, potential attendees to invite them where it's, hi, it's me, Linda, I'm your, I'm your conference uh, you know, closing speaker. Can't wait to see you. We're going to do this, we're going to do that. And I got a big surprise. We're going to miss it. Come on. You know, and they're like, hey. so cool. And then they send the video out. And Linda does a brilliant job of afterwards sends this like personalized card to the meeting planners and you are so good with their the pictures front. on it you do a, a big great job of follow picture up. of their ballroom and they love those cards i have a stock uh picture or video of me on a plane so i, I have my camera and i'm on a plane saying so looking forward to coming out to see you and then i i, I act like i'm getting interrupted and i go I'm, I'm sorry we're going where oh well that's not i'm on the wrong plane i'm so sorry <laughs> <laughs> And it's a stock, so I don't say any names or any cities, and I throw that in as far as the last thing. I've finally gotten on a plane, and I've come out to see you, but it's two months early, and I'm not going to the right place. And it's, so start planning your videos ahead of time, but I love that idea. Yeah. So are there any tips on, on helping us can sort of add humor? What do you guys do? What are your secrets? I have a prop that I love. May I? <laughs> when I first get to the event, I go to the AV guys, and I say, I have a, some music I'd like you to play for me while I walk on stage, and their face is just... They go pale, unless they're really young, then they go like this, because they don't know what it is. <laughs> um, and that's so why I brought my Walkman, we'll plug it on in, and I just, I don't let it go very long, but then I go, wait, wait a minute, this is, this is just my cell phone cover. <laughs> and it's just something small, but it's such a quick little prop, and people get the biggest giggle. And I can leave it out, and nobody will steal this. Leave <laughs> 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 it on the table, it'll be there. <laughs> yeah, Three so days later, there it maybe is. Maybe there's something All small right. that you can do that, that would help you lighten up, and let everyone else lighten up around you, and I find that creates a, a funny culture. I love that. Props. Props, baby. Props.
Oh yeah, oh yeah. There was a, a principle in innovative thinking that if you're looking for an answer or a solution to something, you look at something else and go, what does this remind me of? What does this remind me of? We all have an antenna on our top of our heads. Um, women's antennas are swiveling. 360 degrees at all times, we're picking up everything, you know, it's like, whoa, there's you know, a hot guy behind us, we're picking it up. But men's antennas, like, <laughs> zoom, in one direction only. When I came up with that bit, I went, I need a helmet with an antenna on it. So I went to a prop maker for, um, for the circus, and I said, can you make me a helmet that's got an antenna that telescopes so that it goes down so I can travel with it, and it zaps back up, and then I can put it on, and when I can just stand there and go like this, the antenna will go whoosh, whoosh. And it does. And it's like, it's like this, I can tell them that all day. If you can figure out a way to make it physical so they can see it, it just, yeah, it's just. Excellent. What do you think, Jamie? When really big things happen to me in order to live funny, because I think we have to live funny, I think we all do live funny, and it's important because then it carries off onto the stage. And if I'm having trouble doing that, you know, bringing myself out of there by laughing at myself, then I call one of these two. And they say, okay, yeah, we're going to, you know, get you on it. So it's live funny. I could sit here and talk to you guys all day and just pick your brains on the specific things. I really appreciate all that you give and look forward to your great success and coming back on the VOE anytime. Thanks, Michael. Thank you. Thank you. Let's all give it for each other. Yeah. Let's all give it, give it for us. When it comes to content, nothing sums up what most of us are trying to become than thought leader. The incomparable Neen James, CSP, focuses her facet of being a thought leader on how you position and present that content in palatable ways for your audience to grasp and have impact. Neen James, fantastic productivity queen, thought leader, extraordinary. And that's what I want to talk about is, is thought leadership, Perfect. especially how it comes in connection with where I'm going, how do I set myself up for success. Mm -hmm. Last book. Folding Time, How to Achieve Twice as Much in Half the Amount of Time. That was a big one. It was. That it's was been great. One. Yeah. How do I create or set myself up to be a thought leader and mm -hmm. shave off some of that learning form? Thought leaders really have the ability to share a unique perspective in the world. A true thought leader shifts industry thinking. So if you think of an Elon Musk and Tesla and some of the work that he has done, not only has he shifted industry, but he has disrupted industry and he has shared his intellectual property. As speakers, as thought leaders, we have three responsibilities, think, sell, and deliver. Let's take the first one, think, what do you mean? So in the Thought Leaders Global Community, we believe that you need the ability to capture your intellectual property in a very unique way that you share it in the world. So that means you need the ability to communicate your message contextually, big picture, through metaphors and through models, but also conceptually, what's your point that you want your audience to know? And then thirdly, what's the content that supports that? So if you think of those three C's as context, concept and content. Now we're really good as speakers coming up with content. We come up with stories, personal observations, ancient history. It's great, but to really differentiate yourself as a thought leader, you want to be able to showcase your work in a model, a model that is uniquely yours, that requires your explanation, but when your audience sees it, it lands everything for them. So models really are squares, circles and triangles. Right? When they just smush together and they make up your IP, right? Look at some of the famous models through history, the quadrant model of Covey. Like think about all the things where it becomes uniquely theirs. When you develop model, you set yourself apart as someone who can think strategically, but the audience members who think that way, that resonates with them. But sometimes you've got more right brain thinkers in your audience and they love metaphors. The great thing about a metaphor in your IP is it's memorable and repeatable. And in a conference, that's what people are talking about, often your metaphoric examples. So thought leaders need the ability to be able to capture their, their IP in a way that they can deliver it for more commercial success. It's not just about having a whole lot of stories. It's about making it commercially successful. Is it just that this particular speaker in this area is talking and using the idea of a donut and this particular person is using the metaphor of uh, a three-legged stool? Same information, but the metaphor is different? Or are you saying that, no, it's more than that, that mm -hmm. uh, that's just the method of getting your idea across? I mean, well, what I'm Good trying question. to, yeah. So what's the difference? The difference is that every speaker brings to the platform a set of unique experiences 
experiences, you have things that have happened to you on your journey in life, and you have an area of expertise. Possibly you have a lesson you've been learning your whole life. Mm. And this lesson, when you start to package it, you package it more uniquely than anyone else. So while a donut and a stool are different metaphors, no one will ever be able to stand on the platform and share your life experiences, your expertise, what you've been exposed to. The thought leadership system that we have captures all of that in a very unique way so that you can make money out of it. So I've got to be able to take my experiences, what I want to pass on, mm -hmm. and put it in a way that the audience says, I get that, I relate to that, I remember that. Right. That's uniquely me. Yes. And how does, what does that mean for them? Because it's all about them. So it's not about you standing on a stage and telling all these stories. I think that's important as a speaker. But when you're thinking about thought leadership as a strategy for growing your practice, then you've got to be able to think about it in a way that makes it commercially successful. And part of the commercial success is differentiation. Models, metaphors, stories, case studies, examples, statistics, things that will back up your expertise. Do we just claim to be a thought leader? I mean, when do you know you are a thought leader as opposed to somebody with just an idea that it would love to share that, you know, my take on this particular thing? I think a lot of people uh, can claim they are thought leaders. I know I have. However, <laughs> I suggest to be a thought leader, not a thought repeater. Mm. I think in our industry, people regurgitate and vomit up all this content that is not theirs and I think you need to find your unique perspective so I think thought thought leadership is something that you build that you have credibility builders a really great book is a credibility builder it positions you uniquely in the market so when people think of you they're like that's the person that I want to hire for this event so thought leadership as a term is something that I think an industry calls you I think your clients call you that look we could all put thought leadership on our business cards we could all say we're a thought leader and in our own unique way we are it's just you need to be able to capture it differently don't say what everyone else is saying don't regurgitate everybody else's stuff go through your experiences what you know and capture that for leadership I've got the first part, the thinking part, and I think I have something that is unique and I want to offer it. And the mm -hmm. second piece you're talking about is the selling part. Right. What is that? Selling thought leadership is different to selling because it's an intangible product. And I think often when we sell thought leadership, it's different insofar as you have to position yourself as the thought leader. So instead of someone saying, well, what do you do? Often people say, I'm an attorney, I'm an accountant, I'm a speaker. And there's a different way to be able to have that conversation. You've got to be able to address for the people that you're talking to, what are their known spoken problems? So what is it that they might be willing to admit in front of a hundred people that that's a problem they have? But the other problem you need to be able to, de to declare is the known unspoken problems. If you and I were just sitting at the bar with a glass of red wine or champagne in my case, and we were talking about some of the particular challenges you had, what would be the known unspoken problems someone would say to you one-on-one? -on -one? As a thought leader, your job is to be able to know what your clients would say publicly and privately about the concerns they have. And the way you sell thought leadership is you have the solution for that. If you don't have the solution for that, then you recommend someone else. So selling thought leadership, it's not about taking your package and making it fit for everyone. It's about knowing your clients so intimately that you know the problems that they have, the known problems they would declare and the known problems they might just share. Yeah, any tips on how to get into their nightmares? I'm just asking. You know, one of the things we do with every client before we keynote, we always interview five to ten of the key leaders, people that will be recognized in the organization. And I ask generally three questions. I will say, what are the biggest challenges in the organization right now? So if I was talking about productivity, it would be what are the biggest productivity challenges in the organization right now? They're going to solicit information there. We'll say, what's the best way for me to add value to your group? As an open question, they will share with you things they don't like, things that are important to them and what's driving their business. And then thirdly, I'll say, what else do I need to be aware of? These open questions allow me to drill quite deep and get some of that information to understand some of those concerns. But my job, I think selling thought leadership and selling in general has changed. We don't convince anyone to buy from us anymore. We need to stand in our conviction we have the right thing for them. It's a different sales process. Hmm. So I believe in my heart that if I can solve the concerns they have, then I have a solution. But I also know sometimes I don't and I recommend another speaker or I make a different suggestion because I'm not a fit for everybody. So selling thought leadership is different. I think the old way of selling doesn't work anymore. One of my favorite phrases is, if I make you buy something or do something you don't want or need, I'm a con man, not a salesman. <laughs> right. 
right? Right. Right. Yeah. And now more than ever before, because when you think about social media and the way that people have access to information, it's an it's information overload. You know, there's three thousand books published on a daily basis. There's more text messages sent and received on a daily basis than there are people on the planet. Our job as thought leaders is to be able to cut through all of that and find what's most relevant, meaningful, and current for that particular audience and that client. And package it in a way, and package it in a way that, that, makes is, that makes sense. Commercial and is sense. It has to make commercial sense. You could be a speaker, you could be a trainer, an author, a facilitator, a mentor, or a coach. But I think there's six ways to deliver our intellectual property. The thing about these is that they're all different depending on what your strengths are. So you may take one message, like I have folding time, and that's an opening keynote product. But I also have a half-day workshop that I do as well. So it gives me something else to share with the client. I've also written a book by the same title. So speaker, author, and trainer, that's a nice way to be able to diversify the mode. Some of the thought leaders we've worked with, one particular person, they took their keynote and they created a half-day workshop as an extra sale product. Another thought leader that we work with created a mentoring program online and as a result she created an incredibly successful additional revenue stream to her practice. So it's about taking your intellectual property and thinking how would people like to hear this and how do I love to deliver it? And when you deliver it in a way that you love, it makes such a big difference. You hear all the time that everybody needs a book. Right. What, what do you think about that? I think that's, I think that's crazy. Why? People, well, because speakers publish books before they should. And I was one of those speakers. So I published my first book thinking, because everyone said, you've got to have a book, you've got to have a book. So I put a book out. It was all right. It wasn't great. And I think what happens is we publish our books before we're really clear in our area of thought leadership, before we've differentiated our thought leadership. And also, we don't have a platform for it. We don't have a distribution arm. So all these speakers have these basements full of books, <laughs> right? Well, that was me. I was stupid. I did the same thing. It wasn't until I really created and got clear on the folding time model that I developed. So all the research I did and the folding time, how to achieve twice as much in half the amount of time, is my credibility book. I think that's different. But I don't think that every speaker necessarily needs a book for credibility. Think about how many platforms we have now through social media to share our intellectual property. It used to be that the book was a way to build credibility. Now we can do it through Twitter. Goodness, through Vine videos. I mean, you name it, there's so many ways we can build credibility now. It's different. It's a different time. So do the work. Do Think the it work. through. Get your model. Mm -hmm. Get your metaphors. Get your thought. This is who I am. Right. Think about how that is sold to the market and, mm -hmm. and build your models yes. and distribute accordingly mm -hmm. uh, in those six ways to the way your clients need it, the things that make you happy, and you will find yourself a thought leader. If I wanted to follow up, where would I go? NeanJames.com, there's lots of free resources that people can download there. Go to the Thought Leadership tab and you'll find lots of resources there. There's a, uh, a chapter of a book called Sell Your Thoughts. There's a sample chapter there. You may want to download that as well. And that's a really great place to start. Good. Getting us out of the pool of everybody mm -hmm. is Neen James. I appreciate your time. Hey, my pleasure. So it's a privilege fun. to be here. So Thanks much. so much. Right. I know, always fun. Before we move on from the important topic of thought leadership, let's hear from our man on the street, Terry Brock, CSP, CPAE, who had a chance to interview Mindy Gibbons-Klein with another facet on this important topic that impacts you and the approach to your content. Hi, I'm Terry Brock, reporting for Voices of Experience. Being a thought leader is really important. We hear that a lot. A lot of people say, hey, I am a thought leader. Well, today we want to find out about what makes a thought leader and how you become even gooder. There's a good, I'll use my own words there, even gooder. And to do that, I'm bringing in a person who uses a lot better language than I do than the even gooder, Mindy Gibbons-Klein. Mindy, thanks for joining us. Thanks for having me, Terry. Now, you're an American living in England. You've been there and you've got that kind of blend American-English accent. It's great. You've worked with a lot of people that are thought leaders, helping them with books and putting up many ideas together. Tell us a little bit about your background and what you have done in thought leadership. Yeah, I, I'm best known as founder of a brand called The Book Midwife, where we've helped a thousand speakers and entrepreneurs put books together, as you said. So, uh, yeah, not insignificant, uh, but about uh, six, seven years ago, we realized that it wasn't about the book. 
lot of people were putting books out that weren't doing anything or saying anything important. And uh, I latched onto the term thought leadership, which was starting to be used, but abused, I thought, mm -hmm. and not readily understood with no criteria for how to become one. And I decided to create my own methodology, and I've been speaking and writing on that ever since. Yeah, very good. I see the kinds of work that you're doing. And when you put it together now, a lot of people say, hey, I am a thought leader. Your feeling is from our talk is that someone shouldn't say, hi, I'm wonderful. I am a thought leader. Yeah. Instead, what is your feeling of how it should be handled? Well, I think that people should put the work in and, and people can have some kind of methodology or, or process to go through and figure out, I can do this, I can do that, I can expand my ideas, I can expand my reach, I can you know, deepen my thinking, which is a key component of this. And then through doing all that and producing the right materials for the right people, you get recognized as a thought leader. So you get the market calling you one. Very big difference. Great. Another thing that you talk about a lot, I think this is really important. Those of you that are speakers around the world know that it's important to write books. It's so important to have content. Even content marketing is a term that we hear often a lot. And I love the way you say it, that that's only the beginning. Tell us why. Yeah, uh, content marketing uh, is fine. You need to be marketing yourself and you need to be producing content. But it, it does go well beyond that because there's a lot of people producing content that honestly doesn't add a lot of value. And I would encourage speakers, entrepreneurs, business leaders to think a bit more before putting any old content out there because it reflects on you. Your yeah. name's on it, right? Yeah, exactly. Matter of fact, when we were talking here, Gina, uh, my partner, was talking about some of the things we need to be aware of, of quantity and quality, that I've got to put some feel, oh, I've got to just do a whole bunch, send out something every day. So tell us, you've given us a lot of thought on quantity versus quality. Yeah. How do we produce quality more than that quantity? Well, that's the answer. The answer is to focus on quality, and then you don't have to do so much quantity. So the whole reason why people are thinking they need to be producing you know, many, many articles and blogs is because none of them on their own are adding a lot of value. And I know that sounds really harsh, but if you produced one amazing viral article you wouldn't need to produce so many more. You could latch onto the back of that. You, it relieves the pressure in a way if you put the thought in up front and you produce really good stuff. Come out with your best, your biggest and boldest ideas in a variety of ways, but in the ways that make sense for what you're trying to do. So, you know, yes, we do rely on the book. A good hard-hitting book in print is at the heart of a thought leadership strategy. I think somebody's going to work very, very hard if they're trying to become a thought leader without a book. But then there's all the other things that they could and should be doing. The articles, the blogs, the speaking, the videos, the interviews like this, the networking, on and on. Yeah. Okay, so Mindy, you're here visiting us right now. I'm going to take advantage of the situation here because I know speakers are wondering, okay, I need to produce content. How do we produce? Nitty gritty here. Mm -hmm. How do we produce really compelling content that people say, wow, Mindy's got another article. I need to read that. What do we need to do and what are some specific steps that you've advised and recommended to your clients? Yeah, absolutely. Thanks. Um, the, the main thing is to push your thinking. It's a phrase that we developed at Real Thought Leaders and I think we don't do enough of this. We don't get taught how to do this really at school. We're spoon-fed. I won't even get into that. But we have the opportunity to really go deep and figure out what it is that we think and believe about key issues that are going on in our field, our industry, whatever your industry is. Be as specific and as niche or niche as possible, and then really be specific about what you think and know and believe. You can do a bit of research, but it's about going inside rather than outside. As I say, people don't do enough of this. Sometimes you have to get away. We do retreats, we do thought leadership retreats, where people can have time and space to explore and come up with things that sound a whole lot more exciting than just the same old, same old. I like the idea of being in that niche or niche, as you would say, uh, uh, elsewhere. The idea of really focusing on a specific need because there's a lot out there. And I found one of the things that's a big challenge today is there's so much good content. I mean, we can filter out the junk, but when I look at all that's available, I get literally about 30 to 40 hours every day of good video. You can't watch it, even if you try to compress it down. You, you can't do that. So we need to stand out. And your idea of working with that, becoming very good in quality, I think is important. So what steps do you see us that we should take as speakers to enhance and enrich our content and delivery of that for long term? Say the next six months to <laughs> six to 12 months, long term in computers, that is. Yeah. I, I think the first thing is to figure out where you want to go as a speaker. Some speakers want more gigs. Some speakers don't necessarily want to be speaking more, but they want 
want to be earning more. Some speakers want to move into a slightly different space. For example, in my own experience, I've just moved more into corporate and less with the SME and entrepreneurs. So figure out where it is you're trying to go and then which thought leadership would be required for that group because it's different for all. Which media? Is it more videos? Is it more articles? Is it you know, blogs, what will they respond to? Is, is social media enough? Because, you know, they tend to be quite short and you need to have a strategy for all of this. So create a good strategy. Don't start producing content without having the content strategy and the ideas firmly in place and testing those ideas. Really ask yourself, is what I'm planning to say in this article or book or speech really, really disruptive and interesting and exciting? Or are you kidding yourself? And it's harsh, and, and we give tough love at Real Thought Leaders, but um, it pays off because that, that kind of in-depth thinking and exploration does pay off when you take that deep breath and you leap off the cliff and you say, right, this is what I'm going to say and be known for, and the heads turn. That's what we're after. Yeah, those kind of things are good. As a matter of fact, one of the things I'm going to do, I'm going to plug it in here. I got her book here, the 24 karat gold that you gold. put together. Or bold, excuse me. It is, it's in gold. Notice that? And it's bold. I like that. So 24 karat bold with a B. Really nice there. Claim your position as the top expert in your field. If somebody says, I want to get in touch with this wonderful lady. She's got a lot of wisdom. What's the best way for them to reach you? Uh, well, they can look me up, but uh, my main website is mindygk.com. Okay, and spell that for us for those that are listening on the audio very slowly. Okay. M-I-N-D-Y-G-K.com. And everything's in there. Articles, blogs, videos, different ideas, things to think about, contact information, information about our companies and how to get started. So, Many, A delight to have you. Thank you very much for joining us. Thanks for having me. Reporting for Voices of Experience, this is Terry Brock. I'm sitting here with Andrew Zabo, the marketing chef, and you help people become simply irresistible with your simply irresistible marketing. And so I welcome you to VOE. Well, it's a delight to be here, Michael, and it is indeed beautiful out here. Well, I want you to wax on a little bit about how we can really become simply irresistible in getting ourselves out there and being unique in the market. I mean, what would you have us do? Well, first of all, why is it important to be simply irresistible? The issue is that people are bombarded with marketing messages every day. It's estimated that the average person is bombarded with 5,000 marketing messages a day. So 5,000 5, now. With a business person, that could be even more. So that meeting plan is bombarded from morning, noon, and night with all kinds of marketing messages. Well, think back to yesterday. How many marketing messages do you actually remember? If you think hard, maybe five. And maybe, and I say maybe, one made an impression on you. Shouldn't our offering, our product service offering as speakers, be simply irresistible where people go, I have to have it, or at least I want to find out about it. So that's, where, that's the starting point. That's why it's important, first of all, to become simply irresistible. Well, if you would have us become simply irresistible, let's talk about where do we drop the ball then? I mean, obviously we have Great to question. stand out in this loud noise of messages. So where do most people drop the ball when it comes to speakers? When, when it comes to marketing, not, not just speakers, but this is the general problem in the marketplace. I call them the seven major marketing malfunctions, but it starts with these three. Poor positioning, brand baloney, and mediocre messaging. Those are three strategic issues that undermine most organizations' marketing, but I see it time and time again with speakers as well. So if, in a nutshell, if we had to focus on a certain area uh, to help get better at those things, what would you have us do first? Well, it, it is a progression. It starts with positioning. So you can't really work on your messaging until you have your strong positioning. So think of it as in like, like with food, right? You have to have good quality ingredients before you start cooking the meal. And positioning is foundational. These are your foundational ingredients to your marketing. You've got to get nude, Michael. <laughs> okay, you've got to get you've got to get nude. I kind of like the whole food nude thing that you got going on here. Uh, help me understand. I got to get nude. What does that mean? <laughs> <laughs> I have never been more uncomfortable, and yet I'm really into the conversation. So <laughs> you've got my attention, my friend. Well, marketing should get your attention. Yeah, nude is an acronym. Mm -hmm. Stands for novelty utility, dependability, and economic value, economic benefit. All four have to be present. Think of it like the four food groups. Your a meal is not nutritious if it's lacking any one of the four food groups. It doesn't matter how much protein you eat, if you're not getting some carbohydrates, or you're not getting fruits and vegetables or, 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 or dairy, uh, the, the whole different food groups, you're going to be hungry. A balanced meal has all four food groups. A balanced positioning has all four present. 
So tell us about being nude. Go through those four with us. Well, it starts with, with novelty. Novelty, essentially another word for that is differentiation. You have to be different in some shape or form. And obviously there's novelty, or you're new on the market, or you're some new speaker that, that's talking about something. Well, probably that novelty soon gets old. The novelty that's really important, the one that transcends time, is what I call contextual novelty. In other words, there's something different about what you do. Okay, as a speaker, I really want to think about how am I unique in the marketplace? I can still address customer service, sales, leadership, but I really want to focus on how am I differentiated in the market? What makes me unique and whether whether it's in my message or my delivery that I can really capitalize on? Exactly, so or it's perhaps how you go about it. Perhaps you have a, a system or a methodology that has novelty. Okay, so let's move to you then, uh, utility. Tell me about utility. There has to be something useful about what you do. Now, that may seem obvious, but for some speakers, that might be easy than others. For example, if you're talking about customer service, that has a high utility value. Every business needs to know something about customer service, so that's, that's useful. Now, the question is, what's the novelty? So sometimes you pair, just like with foods and wines, you pair them together. Mm. Novelty and utility sometimes need to be paired together. So what's useful and novel about what you do? And it'll do one of four things increased revenue, decreasing costs, improving profitability, improving competitive advantage. Those are what's useful for a business. So it may not be the initial thing that's useful. It's how is, why is that important that will tie you back to the key elements for a business. the impact on the company So N-U-D. D, dependability. Mm -hmm. We have to demonstrate dependability. We value dependability, even more than reality excellence at some level. I mean, think about it. Who's the largest retailer in the world? Walmart. Right. They're not the most excellent, but it's highly dependable. It doesn't matter if you're Michael Hoffman or Andrew Sabo, or if you're a janitor or you're Donald Trump. If you go to, if you go to Walmart, you stand in the same stinking long lines. You stand, you have, you are there consistently mediocre. Consistency is important. We have to be able to demonstrate dependability. With speakers, it's actually, this is one of the easier things to do, I believe. It's getting those testimonials. It's getting that wow factor with your audiences. You know, on video, you can't, you don't get that in the written word. Dependability, many different ways. Showing results. How did you move a company from A to B because of your training? Use case studies. Even writing potentially white papers. As we said, testimonials, video testimonials. All those are ways to demonstrate dependability. Also, your background and experience. In the case I was referring to the speaker uh, earlier on, you know, she has built that business. She built a business in, in 14 years. She's Grew done it. To, it. She's done it. Mm-hmm. She, there's dependability. Therefore, she has the qualifications to, to train others because it's not just a theory or an idea or borrowed from somebody else. She's actually done it. So she demonstrates dependability in that way. Even though she's relatively new to the speech, she doesn't have the testimonials yet, but she has the, the proof in what she's done in her own business. Excellent. So N-U-D-E? E, economic benefit. And we hinted at this before. You want to be able to demonstrate economic benefit. Now, some things, obviously, some speakers are not necessarily dealing with companies, so it's not a bottom line thing. So you're not talking about profit margins, competitive advantage, retaining talent, things like that. But there are some things that have economic benefit that may not have a financial component. So don't always think financial when you think about economic benefit. So, for example, we have a member in our chapter, Michael Bloomberg. He's the romance CEO. Now, he helps guys not suck at doing <laughs> proposals. They're, they're, they're wedding proposals. It's a great thing. He's been on uh, national TV and so forth. So, in one sense, what he does is priceless. Mm. So, some things we do, some speakers are out there, the economic benefit is actually priceless. Mm-hmm. So, it's my job to help connect my message to their economic benefit. Yeah, you want you benefit. want to basically the thing. Of, it, it's, 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 it's like a car. It needs to run on all four cylinders, or a meal. It needs to have all four food groups. And invariably, what I find is that you may find that two of them are really strong, mm. and you'll probably find two are weak. Working on those two weaker areas and improving your positioning can can dramatically change your business. And I've seen that time and time again, both with speakers as well as many of the other businesses and organizations I consult with. It can, it can, it can shift their marketing in a dramatic fashion. Because more often than not, like we said at the beginning, marketing is not usually a tactical issue. More often than not, what undermines the effectiveness of marketing is the strategic elements 
So when I'm looking at my marketing materials, whether it's my website or my one sheets or anything that I'm putting out there that helps people see me, I wanna look at those four things. Am I using these materials to have my novelty come across? I mean, I may work with customer service people, but there's a million customer service people out there. What makes me unique? What, what, what's my novelty yeah. and why I'm different than everybody else? What's my usefulness? Is it clear from the very beginning of how this is going to benefit them and, and be useful to them. How dependable am I? I love the examples that you gave as far as, is it my experience that makes me dependable? You can depend on what I'm saying. Is it third party? Is it social proof? That's why mm -hmm. you know testimonials are so important, especially video testimonials, because you get the emotion out of there. I love that. And how is the economic benefit impacting the bottom line. So if you're going to use me, I want to help justify that investment from the very beginning. Well, how about your materials, folks? Uh, whether you're a beginner or whether it's time to refocus on what you're doing, I love how you said that most people do too well, but when it comes to all four, we're going to be missing on some. So you take a look at your materials. How is your materials being simply irresistible? I think it's time to light up our cigars, don't you think, Michael? <laughs> I totally think so. You, my friend, are simply irresistible. And so are you, Michael. Yeah, the marketing chef, I love the concept of getting nude. I love that. I'm going to go look at all my materials right now and, uh, and just see how nude I am. Okay. <laughs> that's, that's so great. All right, let's stop for a minute and do something completely different. You know, if you haven't taken the opportunity to go to any of the extra events that NSA has had this year, you've really missed out. They've been spectacular, but there is one that you absolutely cannot miss. But don't let me tell you, let's take a moment to hear from convention chair Brian Walter as why you should drop everything and get to Washington, D.C. this July. I have a confession. I love infomercials, those classic in-your-face pitches on exactly what a product does and can do for you. The purity of the focus on features and benefits sells me long before we reach 3Z payments of 1995 or the tantalizing promise of, but wait, there's more. I can actually see myself leaping up from the Thighmaster to a PX90 session while listening to Richard Simmons and his sweatin' to the oldies wearing a sweat-stained Snuggie, me not Richard, which I'll wash with OxyClean long before I cool down with an apple and kale smoothie from my Juice Man juicer as I fire up the George Foreman grill and slice and dice a mound of julienne fries with my Ronco Vegematic. Ah, good times. Now that mental trip down infomercial lane got me thinking. What would an infomercial for our NSA Influence Convention sound like? Speakers, are you tired of others being more stellar on stage? Clients making you cave on fees or prospects not visiting your website, watching your YouTube channel, or liking your Facebook posts? Do you slog on planes week in, week out, only to realize others in NSA are making scads of money through online learning, group coaching, and high-revenue products? Well, it's not your fault. You're... A victim. Yes, that's it. A victim of not enough practical tactical ideas, peer education, and inspiration. But would you be amazed to learn all of these speaker problems can be solved with one single trip to Washington, D.C. in July? We'll be amazed no more. It's now a reality with Influence 2015, the premier event for professional speaking. There's an entire day, Money Monday, with every single main stage and breakout session exclusively focused on how you can make and keep thousands, hundreds of thousands, or even millions of dollars. There are three-hour-long A Will for Skill sessions, where instead of just talking about the need to learn key skills, you'll actually get trained on how to do them. You'll experience five of the next generation of speakers with the first ever XY Fast Five session. On Celebrity Sunday, you'll see George Takei, the Star Trek actor, author, activist, and social media superstar. And for all of you with staff, this is huge. There will be a staff convention within a convention, the most robust set of custom educational content for speaker, staff, and staff roles ever provided at one time by NSA. But act now. This limited offer of customized speaker educational content ends soon, and it all can be yours for three easy payments of just $19.95. Not true. Just go to nsaspeaker.org to register today. True. Operators are standing by. Sort of true. Not available in stores. True. But wait, there's more. Actually, there really is more. But to get it, you really do need to act now. This is Brian Walter, and I have one question for you. Are you going to influence? 
Well, Shep, once again, you and I get a chance to talk about the State of the Union, things that make us successful, and I liked uh, this month because this is just gives a little State of the State of the Union for how our industry works because you and I are halfway around the world from each other. I happen to be in the good old USA up in Minnesota. Where are you at these days? Today, I am in Sydney, Australia. Good day, mate. <laughs> you, had to, you had to say it. I'm sure they love that. <laughs> I don't know if I said it well, but I yeah. tried. Yeah, yeah. yeah. That, actually, good people down there, good people. Well, I wanted to take a moment. You know, uh, this month has had a couple of great topics. We've talked about delivery, and we've talked about content. We've talked about humor, and we've talked about being a thought leader. Before we get into some of these topics, I want you to give us a little State of the Union because we've had a report that's come out. If you haven't read it, we want you to. But tell us a little bit about Bill Vogley's report. Sure. Bill Vogley, uh, com- we commissioned a report by his company, Association Insights, and we call it the NSA market barometer, which basically tells us as speakers and and uh, trainers, facilitators, all of our members, uh, hey, this is what's going on in our world. And if you pay attention to your mailings at NSA or emailings that NSA sends out, then you will have seen this link to the report. If you haven't, just reach out to NSA directly. You can either call them or go to the website, uh, nsaspeaker.org. Just hit the contact button, fill out the form, just say, hey, here's my email address. Send me a copy of this report. It's pretty robust. It's about uh, 12 or 13 pages long. Bill's firm not only sent out surveys to quite a few speakers, but they also did some uh, surveying interviews over the phone so that we got some really good response and and some gut feeling not just you know the straight black and white stats and facts we got some qualitative and quantitative type responses so there's good news that's the uh, industry update if you will Excellent. Well, you know, Shep, in this issue, we've talked uh, on several of the segments about being a thought leader, on how to become a thought leader. If you are a thought leader, how to create your message into becoming a thought leader. But you, being a thought leader, do a really good job of marketing that thought leader. Can you give us some insights on how we can take uh, the thought leader that we have set ourselves up to be and get it out there? Sure. Um, and, and thank you. I, I, it's quite a compliment that you would consider me to be a thought leader. I think what positions me is that I stay in a lane and that lane happens to be anything tied to the customer service experience, customer loyalty, that genre. I've stayed in that lane for a long time. And when I write, I write, I'm going to say 90% of everything I write and I post is customer service type you know, content. So that's number one is you can't be known for a bunch of things. You have to be known for something. It's one thing, uh, one topic, one expertise. So that's the first and foremost thing I would say is, is get focused. Number two, writing is the key. If you write, write it first and then you socialize it and you activate it as many different ways as you can. One of the things we're, we're doing is we try to post the article in as many different places that will take an article. So I've decided every time I write an article now, I write a second version of the same article. Not a big deal. As a matter of fact, anybody in my office can take my article and, and twist it around a little bit. It's called article spinning. And that way, the duplicate content isn't out there everywhere. And anybody that requests an article, we just give them that copy. So that's a, a little tip, too. So th- that I'd say first and foremost, write. And, and you had mentioned about uh, socializing that minute. Tell me about being active in social media. Well, you know, I'm very active in social media. I have a pretty heavy schedule that I do on the, the business week, Monday through Friday. But in addition to posting something major, like my blog on Wednesdays, we do a Forbes article on Thursdays. I do guest blogs on Fridays. Uh, Monday, I do that article consolidation blog. If you if you follow me and you, you go to uh, customerservicearticles.com, you'll see every Monday, I take my favorite articles that I've read from other authors and thought leaders, and I post, here's why I like it, and here's a link to them. And, and by the way, they love when you do that. They really appreciate it because you're, you're essentially sharing the love. And on uh, Tuesdays, I do my video. But throughout the week, we're uh, taking little tips from these writings and we're creating tweets from them. Just heard a great stat from Jay Bear. And by the time everybody is listening to this segment, the Media Lab will have come and gone. But one of the videos that he did in preparation for the Media Lab, which was part of the promotion, he said that 
about 1% of your followers on Twitter will actually see the tweet, which means why not tweet it two or three times throughout the day, maybe spin it a little bit so it's a little bit different because most likely uh, it's a very, very unlikely chance that anybody's going to see the duplicate tweet. But think about that. If you've got 100 followers, only one is going to see you. Now, if you've got 100,000 followers, then that means about 1,000 people might see your tweet. Yeah, so that was a great little tip from Jay. Mm -hmm. But I, I would activate all that I can around the writing. Again, make a video of it, create short little tips that are tweetable, post them on Facebook, Google+. We, we use Pinterest. We'll take some of the more interesting quotes that come out of my blogs. We put a nice little background on it. We create a little slide and we post it on Pinterest. So those are just different ways that we get the content out there. Well, you are prolific, my friend. Shep, before we go, when we were just chatting before we started recording here, you had mentioned something I thought was very interesting about interviewing and uh, participating in that, really getting involved in media. Tell us about that tip. Wow. Well, that's that's huge. I think everybody should try to be interviewed by any anybody that was is willing to interview them. And, and that doesn't matter if it's a major radio station, and it could be somebody who has a blog talk radio show who uh, the only person that listens to this interviewer is his or her mother or something. It doesn't matter because if it's a good interview, then you should get a recording of that interview and you should post it. On a website, you should have a media page on your own website. And the media page should include several different uh, areas that are of, of importance. Number one is if I was going to be interviewed, what are the greatest questions that somebody should ask me. Okay, so if you go to my website, hiking.com, and you click on the media tab, you're gonna to see topics and, and, and uh, talking points for an interview. That's important. Interviewers love this. If I have a new book that's coming out, I will post the questions that I want the interview to ask me uh, about the book. So you get a little bit of control on the content that way, if they want it. And many times people say, no, I wanna do my own interview. Well, that's fine. And by the way, I love it when they send me the questions up front because it gives me a chance to think about them. I don't want to think about them too long because I want it to be really extemporaneous, uh, at least sounding extemporaneous. But it's nice to know the angle that they want to go at. Uh, you also, by the way, here's a tip for interviewing. You want to ask them, do they want a conversation or do they want to ask a question and then let you roll for two or three minutes? Make sense? So you don't, I love a conversation. I think it should be more of a dialogue than a monologue. Typically when you and I talk, that's the way it is. Uh, but finally, uh, you know, as I mentioned before, let anybody who wants interview you. If you're lucky, you'll get, you know, big media coverage on major, whether it be radio or TV stations, or perhaps it's a uh, print media outlet that you might end up in a magazine. But if you are posting your content everywhere, people will start to ask, for interviews. It's that simple. And make every one of those interviews and activate the heck out of it. Put it on social media. Just did an interview with Michael Hoffman. Just did an interview with, you know, Sally Jones, whoever it is, and explain what it is, you know, short little one-liner, and boom, you get it. Shep, you're always telling us to really, really get your content out in written form. I love how you tell us all the great ways and how you can just take that information and get it out in many, many forms. I love the second version tip. That was a great one. Uh, and definitely get Bill Vogley's report. Great stuff this month, Shep. I really appreciate you. Hey, listen, before we sign off, give us some inspiration and on why we should come to this year's convention. Why not? And if you're not coming, it's a huge mistake. That's all I can say. Well, first of all, why come? Because we have an incredible convention chair, and that's Brian Walter, who is pulling out all the stops that's basically tanked his business for this convention because he wants this to be the biggest, baddest convention there ever was. We are just trying to raise the bar every time. I'm excited. I'm excited too, Shep, because we all love Brian Walter. It's going to be an amazing, an amazing life-changing, business-changing event. So I really encourage you all to get there. Shep, travel safe, my friend. Thanks for talking with us, and we'll see you next month. I can't wait. Thank you, everybody. And remember, speak well and speak often. Well, let's have a cup of Hoff, which is basically me giving my thoughts on the topics of the day. Humor. Humor is a funny thing. <laughs> I know. I kill me. Ooh. 
Oh, seriously. One of the greatest gifts I believe we bring to this world is laughter in all its wonderful forms. And there are so many forms and so many different ways that people express and enjoy humor. I think that's why this topic is worthy of a lifetime of study. Nothing connects an audience more than laughter. Nothing brings relief to a tough situation better than laughter. If you have the ability to make an audience laugh, then I believe you know what it's like to have real impact. Laughter is the can opener of an audience's mind for new ideas. It's the grease for presentation, and it unlocks the heart and changes perspectives. One of the greatest compliments I think I've ever received as a trainer or performer was from an audience member that had to tell me what his boss said to him before he boarded a plane to Dallas for training. He said that if he had a trainer that was blonde and had a very thick accent, that he should take lots of notes and he was going to learn a lot. But if he was lucky enough to have a tall, curly-headed guy, he was going to laugh his ass off and learn twice as much. I do apologize for my French, but I was quoting. It's a mighty, mighty tool, and that's what I want to pass on to you from my point of view on this cup of hoff. Invest in the craft of laughter. If you have the privilege of holding the platform, then you owe it to yourself to add this skill to your bag of tricks. Now, I don't know about you, but I remember listening to comedians from a very young age and wanting to do what they did. My dad was a big fan of Jackie Gleason, Danny Kaye, all the greats. I remember laying on the ground with the speakers of my phonograph on both sides of my head and listening to Bill Cosby over and over and over again. I knew every one of his albums. I studied Steve Martin as a young man, and I could nail every word of his Let's Get Small album, word for word and inflection for inflection. I loved it. I still do. I highly recommend that if you can, get to a class. I love taking classes from the pros on stand-up, storytelling, humor, anything I can get. Judy Carter in L.A. has been teaching stand-up for a long, long time, and, well, she's basically one of the best. Getting up on stage and doing stand-up, not to necessarily make a career out of it, but just to build the skill and add it to your bag. You cannot learn it without doing it, but, oh, man, what a skill set. I highly recommend that you pay attention to Speaker Magazine this month that is dedicated to humor in all of its form. Some people ask if creating laughter is a natural thing or a skill. Well, I think that if you can get better at it, that makes it a skill. However, we will always have those that are blessed with a gift. So, eh, there you go. Laughter, I think, is a glue that holds a family together. Some of my fondest memories were having dinner with my family. We weren't perfect, but we did do it every day, and having dinner together kept us together. If you didn't make it to the table by 6 o'clock, you frankly were in trouble. But it did bring us together on a regular basis. And for me, dinner was a training ground, because being 8 out of 9 kids basically meant that you were never going to make it to the big table at any of the holidays, especially Thanksgiving. In our family, it was a fact that if you weren't an adult, you weren't allowed to hang out at the big table unless you were doing something worthwhile. And for me... I can make them laugh. It actually really wasn't that hard. The goal was, and frankly still is, that if you could get one of my three sisters or my mother to start laughing, it would cause a ripple effect, and the momentum would grow. They would just bounce off of each other, and you knew you were done when someone basically peed their pants. <laughs> it, was, it was perfection. Uh, laughter, I believe, is indeed passed on to your kids. All of my children have a wicked sense of humor in one form or another. In January of this year, my daughter Allie and I made a video of us dancing in the kitchen to Uptown Funk by Bruno Mars, and it literally went viral in just a few days. At the taping of this segment, it was at 11 million views. Now, I've been speaking professionally for 20 years, and I have never reached that many people that quickly. But when you're frozen in during a winter storm in Dallas and you turn the cameras on your goofy daughter, well, eh, hilarity happens, and 11 million people want to see it. I really recommend that you check it out by looking up Ice Day Challenge by Michael Hoffman on YouTube. You'll definitely see what I mean. <laughs> so whether it's a funny story or a good one-liner or a stand-up set that has them rolling in the eye, I can't recommend enough for this cup of hoff the skill set of humor to be lifted up and put on your radar. So, whether it's true or not, you know what they say. In this business, do you have to be funny? Only if you want to get paid. I'm Michael Hoffman. We'll talk to you next month.
podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.